Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Mom on the Verge podcast, where I aim to help you improve your sense of joy, purpose, and meaning in this life. We will talk about a lot of different ways we can do this, but ultimately, we'll be working toward finding our way back home to ourselves and remembering that even in the most challenging times, peace is only a breath away. I am your host, Katie Farinas, a mom, nurse, and yogi on a mission to improve mental health and build community in our world. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Emma Draycott. She is an anxiety specialist who also helps people deal with um, panic attacks. She helps women who are experiencing debilitating anxiety and panic attacks break free, regain control over their lives and feel safe and calm so they can reclaim their life from meaningful relationships to excelling at work and pursuing things that bring them joy. And I was really excited to speak with Emma because one of the big reasons that I started this podcast was because I saw such a rise in our society in anxiety and panic attacks. And of course, I have my own personal experience with both of those things with my daughter and other people in my family. So I really wanted to use this podcast as a platform to help people live better lives, but in particularly to manage um, anxiety and panic attacks attacks and uh, even in depression as well. So Emma is a perfect guest. um, And I just, I can't tell you how much I loved our conversation. She is just the kindest, most warm-hearted individual. We we, we took, had our conversation over Zoom because Emma is from the UK, but even through the computer screen, I could just feel her love and compassion for her um, for her patients. I'm not sure if she calls them that. As a nurse, everybody's a patient, but for her clients probably is the term that she uses. Um, and really just for all, all people. And it was just a beautiful conversation that brought me to tears on a few occasions, which is not easy to do. I'm not generally a much of a crier. So um, with that being said, I think that you are going to just really enjoy this conversation, really Feel what I'm talking about, the heart of Emma, um, and hopefully gain some wisdom and from, you know, self-knowledge and uh, retro- introspection. And um, there's lots of ways to connect with Emma if you would like to work with her. She's on Instagram, Facebook, and she has her own website, which I will put all of that information in the show notes. Um, I guess lastly, the conversation kind of took a turn that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Emma, among the many different tools she uses to work with her clients, uh, also uses hypnosis as a form of therapy. And I personally have no experience with hypnosis, but it was a fascinating conversation. And I've actually decided to work with Emma to see if it can help with my migraines. So I will keep you updated about that on some future episodes and uh, let me know what you think about about the hypnosis piece. All right, guys, have a great one. And I hope you enjoy the show. Bye. 
Okay, I have to add a little addendum to my intro. I had planned on going back and editing a few portions of this episode because Emma and I recorded our conversation over Zoom. Emma uh, lives in the UK. And so we had our conversation over Zoom and unfortunately there were some connection issues and there was a few times where Emma lost her connection and had to log back on. So I do apologize. You are going to hear that in the in the show. And I had wanted to edit it out. But to be very honest, this week has been a little insane. It was back to school week and I'm taking a course that's going to help me improve this podcast for you guys. And I've just been a little overwhelmed this week. So I didn't have time to go back and edit it out. I do apologize for that, but I still firmly believe that it's a great episode and that you're going to love it. So take a listen. Let me know what you think. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Katie Mom and Yogi, Facebook at Katie Farinas. You can email me at momontheverge.podcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Hi, Emma. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Mom on the Verge. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing to be here. I am so excited for this conversation because one of the very big reasons why I started this podcast was because my own daughter went through a very bad time with her mental health and we have mental health problems throughout our family. So I have an extensive personal history with these interactions with mental health uh, struggles But also what really prompted me was that during the pandemic, I'm also a nurse and I saw this incredible rise in anxiety that occurred during the pandemic and has continued to remain elevated post pandemic and seeing it in my patients, I'm seeing it in their family members, I'm seeing it in my coworkers, my friends, my family, Um, the statistics, of course, about teens and their mental health is staggering. Um, And I... I thought we need to talk about this more and we need to help help people more gain the skills that they really need to manage their mental health. So a big impetus for starting this podcast was um, top, a topic like anxiety. So I'm really excited to talk to you since that's what you specialize in. Um, I like I always like my guests to just give a little background on how they came to do what they do. Was this always your plan to specialize in anxiety or did your life kind of weave and wind and take you there okay great questions and lovely points to start with so in terms of my own journey so I start I always knew I wanted to help people and I actually went into the route of being a social worker so I'm a qualified and registered social worker still but then following doing um, frontline practices I then specialized in mental health so I've been doing that now for at least 10 years and specializing in mental health in terms of route to anxiety it really comes really from my own experiences so um, I had my own experiences of panic attacks and disassociation following some bereavements when I was at university studying for social work and then more recently um, in the past several years Apologies for that, my AirPods disconnected. So in the past several, I ended up having a car, I had a car accident and then developed PTSD and anxiety, very acute anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, specifically around um, driving, cars, 
movement and those kind of things that had quite a big impact on me and my life. So I was already a therapist and I was already working in a mental health service, but that's really the point. Once I had built up recovery in terms of my own health, I really felt compelled like that feeling, and I know you talk about feeling, it's hard to put it into words, but I had like an energy within my whole body that was like trying to get out. It's like, you you have got to help other people. You've got the skills. And I was sitting on them because at the time I was more managing in the mental health service rather than using my like clinical skills and therapeutic skills. So yeah, that's what really led me to now supporting people and I really understand anxiety because I've worked with probably hundreds thousands of people who experience it but I also know it from a personal perspective and I think that when you're getting support and I'm sure you appreciate this and your clients do there is nothing like actually having experienced it to help people um yeah so that's a little bit about me Okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Now, did you, looking back on your life, do you think you experienced anxiety growing up in like, were you, do you think you were born more of an anxious person? And even if you look back now in your childhood, you can see where that manifested in your childhood and maybe you just didn't recognize it. Or do you think it was more situational for you? Like something came into your life, circumstances that were difficult. And then, you know, anxiety was part of that. Really good question. So first of all, I would share my own experiences are I probably didn't realise and lots of people that I work with and have conversations with and friends and family don't actually realise that they suffer with anxiety. They might label it something different. So I definitely didn't know how acute it was until I got my own insight into like being a professional really. And but. I do believe that we ha- we are susceptible. So certain, you know, because of our own experiences, you know, potentially there were things that happened in my life that meant that I was more susceptible to mm-hmm. experiencing anxiety. And then, like you said, yeah, there are triggers as well. So there might have been things in my life that actually then perpetuated that anxiety. So, for example... Um, when I was younger it might be more generalized anxiety that I was just maybe a little bit more you know worried a bit more than other people but I didn't know this at the time Um, and also I'm very empathetic so I felt things so I felt anxious and worried when somebody else did even though that that didn't belong to me and I didn't understand that until I was an adult well you know um, so then do you know when we have these real mixed when people, you know, I work with a lot of people that are empaths, so we absorb all this feeling, we don't know that it's not ours. And then our brain tries to search and make sense of it that actually causes us more anxiety. Everything so, you're saying just, yeah, it makes so much sense. It, it really does. Um, my, I, we mentioned before uh, we got on this call, my daughter struggles with mental health and she is a true empath. Um, and she started with panic attacks when she was probably in sixth grade, I guess. Um, she hid them from me. I didn't even know that they were happening, uh, which is wild because I've never personally experienced a panic attack, but the, the way that people describe them, I don't know how a, you know, 11, 12 year old child hid that from her mother. 
Um, they're so, they sound so scary, uh, and so debilitating. Um, but she, I think she didn't know what they were and she didn't know why she was having them. Uh, and they, they just were, came out of nowhere. So to speak, that's what she would tell me all the time. I don't even know why I wasn't in a situation where I felt anxious. And then all of a sudden I was on the floor and feeling like a building had landed on top of my chest and I couldn't breathe. And I thought I was going to die. Um, and so why, what do you think's going on there? Cause I don't think she's alone in that. You know, people can experience things like panic attacks when they're just going about their day, doing their usual stuff. And then all of a sudden it just like a tsunami comes over them. Absolutely. And it does feel like, like we could be having a really good day and have no idea really why this is then just takes over us. I believe that they don't at the time, they feel like they come randomly. And that literally they might do. I'm just about to make myself something to eat or I'm just walking down the street and it feels and seems like it's random. But I do feel like there are, you know, there's a build up. Um, and a lot of the time, so when clients will share that, that you know, or I talk to people and they're saying that their anxiety has gone from zero to 100 or they're experiencing loads of panic attacks and they really don't know why. When I start to invite them to talk about their lives, a lot of different stresses come up. Um, and I do wonder whether for some people and not all people, we get to a point where maybe our nervous systems are just overloaded. Or actually, we're dealing with stuff that now we're calm and safe to do so. It's actually bringing stuff up that that was from years ago. So it doesn't seem like it makes any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that there is sense in it. But I'm going to say this with a bit of a caveat, because when we try and make sense of something that seemingly doesn't make sense, it can drive us <laughs> <laughs> inappropriate words but it can drive us round you know right yes it can then cause more anxiety and panic because seemingly it doesn't make sense or we can't make sense of it and we can't make a logical explanation so there's a bit of a caveat because I do think you know and it's usually not just the one thing it's a multitude of so many different things interacting with one another because um you know I, I believe that and when I talk about holistic I see like you know, we're a human being in context of so many different things. We have connections with so many different things. So Mm. everything has an impact. Yes. And that, that really makes sense. I mean, again, I just from my own experience, not just with my daughter, but my, you know, extended family, I, and actually have a very close friend who struggles terribly with anxiety. And actually what you mentioned about not being able to drive is a huge struggle for her. And she's never been in a major car accident. So she doesn't really know why this is such a huge struggle for her. Um, And so sometimes, sometimes it feels like just, just give up trying to understand why sometimes anxiety just doesn't make sense. But on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes I think a lot of the time, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I think you can't go wrong with self-awareness. So really understanding yourself and like where your feelings are coming from and knowing, for instance, let's say I'm an empath or I had this, these experiences in my childhood or whatever the case may be, you know, I had this trauma that maybe at the time I didn't actually even recognize as a, as a trauma. I kind of like brushed it off, but really it's impacting me more than I 
I thought it was or whatever, that self-awareness is a really huge key to getting better, but that also sometimes it's like, well, this just is anxiety talking and anxiety just doesn't always make sense. Does that, does that resonate with you in your professional experience? Absolutely. And anxiety attaches itself to things so that almost like then cognitively we can try and, you know, it, yeah, we can feel anxious and it just attaches itself to something. It was never right. about that. So, for example, you just mentioned about somebody who's experiencing driving anxiety. A lot of people that I actually work with that experience that often is about grief. Mm-hmm. Like you would have, like it doesn't necessarily connect. Right. But it does. Yes. Um, it makes sense to somebody who just, you know, might not have um, that knowledge of anxiety. So it doesn't make logical sense, but actually it's about something else, but it manifests its way itself in life in different ways. Yes. Yes. That's, that's really good. And actually I'll pass that information along to her because I feel like that kind of makes sense in her case. So <laughs> thank you for that. I will pass it along. <laughs> You're very welcome. There's one thing. <laughs> really would love to talk about and that's the difference between like situational anxiety and anxiety because we use the word anxiety quite a lot and the truth is we all experience anxiety but when I'm talking about anxiety often I'm talking about you know um, debilitating anxiety to a point where you would reach diagnosis for a clinical anxiety disorder because they're really different things no situational anxiety I've just experienced myself what I'm experiencing right now in having this conversation in preparation of this conversation of course it's something new for me and it's something that's going to cause you know nervousness as well as excitement but equally you know there's part of my brain that wants to go don't do that it's scary what happens if you do wrong or people judge you and that is situational anxiety but it will pass anxiety when it's more debilitating is it doesn't pass and it keeps on going and it's actually severe to the point where you can't do things in your life that you want to because actually one of the key things with anxiety is avoidance you know it tells you anxiety is that voice and feeling in your head that's saying don't do that it's not safe Mm -hmm. and then our lives become smaller because the sensations that it causes in our body to make us not do that thing is so significant because it's screaming at us to say don't do that because it's not safe Um, and then with anxiety and managing anxiety and overcoming it is I really help people to feel safer in their own bodies and more in control of anxiety so that they can take the steps that they need to or want to in their life to increase the for, for, you know, to make their life bigger. To yes. Fit, them. yes. A lot of um, the therapy that my daughter and actually my son both did was um, exposure therapy because you're right, exactly what was happening. They were avoiding, 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 you know, it's, they felt they didn't want to, you know, fly in an airplane or uh, sleep over a friend's house or uh, be outside any time after dark or it, my daughter, I mean, hers was extremely severe. I mean, she wouldn't even walk out in the daylight. Um, so it, you're right. That's what happens. It's like their world was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until it got down for my daughter to the size of her bedroom. That was the largest her world had become. 
Um, and so, but the good news is that there is help, right? So the good news is that this is not a lifelong sentence uh, and that there is so much help out there. And, you know, people live beautiful, full lives when they get the help that they need and that they can recognize the difference between real danger and when anxiety is talking to them. And, you know, when you can, when you can get to the point when you can discern, oh, that's my anxiety talking and I'm really actually safe and I can do this thing, you can live your life, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And to talk about the fact that it is, so a lot of people will talk about my anxiety. So they talk about it like it is, it is them and don't believe that they are in control of it or that they can change it but I absolutely believe something mm-hmm. quite different so I believe that anxiety is an experience it doesn't define who you are and it's not part of who you are mm-hmm. it's so I try and talk about it like in the moment I am feeling anxious you know there's an ex- you're right. having an experience it's not you and then too, I absolutely do believe that there are things that you can do. And I teach people all the time strategies they can use to regain control, to feel safe and to teach them that with this skill, actually, they can change anxiety. So they might rate it in the beginning and say, I don't know, it's 90 percent. And I go, right, try this technique. And then when we've done that technique, it reduces mm-hmm. to like six. 60%. So you absolutely can control, you know, that's proof that you can control it. And people can recover, you know. And this is why I'm saying like differently to situational anxiety. If anybody says that oh, I don't experience anxiety ever, well, uh, they may be not, they may feel numb. So that might explain that. But if not, we all do, it's normal. So we're not mm-hmm. going to get rid of it, but we can absolutely overcome like a dis you know anxiety disorder and I really I mean that I really want to share that and spread that belief because it is possible but don't try and do it on I mean you can you could do it on your own but it's harder yeah (laughs) (laughs) easier when you've got somebody who knows what they're talking about and knows strategies proven that can help you much quicker um and I heard you talk about people, um, women not believing that they are good enough. And sometimes I think, you know, this does tip into whether women get support with these things or not, because they don't you know, maybe um, invest in themselves in that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd love yeah. to invite more people to do that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And yeah, I firmly believe in, you know, that you can get better, just like you're saying that this is not, you know, some things are um, like, you know, I explain it, chronic conditions. Like, you know, I, I think that some people will always have a level of anxiety, but is that level, like you're saying of anxiety interfering with their daily life and preventing them from living the life that they want to live? Or is it something that is part of their makeup. Maybe it's, it's something that they have to manage on a regular basis, but they can live the life they want to live, which is the most important thing, right? That we can have the relationships that we want to have and the career we want to have and do all the things that we want to do um, and not let this thing be controlling us. Yeah. I think you just, 
um, said something really important there because it isn't about what society thinks is like recovery or what you know recovery or um, overcoming it looks very different and it's an individual experience because it depends on how you want to live your life doesn't it? it depends on how you really want to feel and I think it's worth noting as well because some people are more pre predisposed because maybe of other conditions to live with a certain level of anxiety that may not reduce and that's like almost their level of normal that's mm -hmm their normal level of anxiety compared to somebody else who maybe doesn't have that diagnosis or that health condition. Yes. I guess that's another question I wanted to ask you. And, and if this is not your area of expertise, that's totally fine. We can, you know, I totally accept that answer, um, is the, the intersection of anxiety and OCD, um, which I've been told that OCD is really just a, t a form of anxiety. It's another form of an anxiety disorder, but it seems like a much, it seems like they coexist frequently, but that the addition of o OCD does make things a little trickier to treat. Um, so I'd be curious of your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So it is an anxiety disorder and they absolutely do interlink and um, people with OCD experience high levels of anxiety or can do and panic as well. Um, in terms of treatment for OCD, yes, there are some, there definitely are some differences and it comes with compulsions and obsessions as well. So there, there are some treatment options that work well for both, to be honest, but there are differences because of you know, the thoughts that drive the compulsive, you know, the act. But mm -hmm. it isn't, OCD isn't an area of, ex, you know, my particular expertise. I can definitely talk about it, but it's not an area I particularly focus on. Okay. Okay. Um, just so that if people out there are listening, because they do generally coexist and they could be contributing to anxiety that you're experiencing, I just wanted to put that out there so that people can maybe be aware of it. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned exposure therapy. That is something that is, you know, recommended. There's also a CBT protocol for mm -hmm. OCD as well. So it's also again something that is um and yeah, definitely would recommend if people if somebody felt that they had experiences of OCD to go down the route of, you know, seeking medical support mm -hmm. and you know, inquiring what could be helpful specifically for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. Next question. Um, I think this will apply to a lot of our listeners too. High functioning anxiety. What does that look like? Well, so high functioning anxiety isn't actually a clinical diagnosis or term, but it's something that I relate with. And it's a great top topic because and I think I always think of movies when I think about this. And this happens with panic attacks and anxiety as well. It's portrayed in a certain way in our society. And I think that when we look at movies and box sets and things like that, then it gives us an idea of like what these things look like. So for anxiety, often it's portrayed in society as, you know, we've just discussed this, debilitating, you know, it's you can't do. So you're avoiding, you know, you even mentioned how small your daughter's world came. And I do think that, that is the 
often a picture of what we see, you know, people uh, maybe not being able to talk, being quite flushed, you know, panicking, being very, um, panic being quite animated really and quite obvious, but it is not, it's a misconception for some people because not everybody's experience of anxiety comes in that way. Now for people that experience high function anxiety, one, my experience, they're less likely to know about it. And I put myself in this category because often at times in my life, my anxiety has been more high function. Now, high functioning does not mean it's easier to deal with. It just presents differently. And the reality is for me and for many people that I work with is nobody knows that you have anxiety (laughs) and no one will be able to tell because you are still fulfilling life's you know, responsibilities. So maybe you are a mum, you've got children, you're studying, you're working, you're propelling in your work. But what people don't know, and I see it, and actually I've been described in this way before, <laughs> is I am the swan. And, and you are the swan. So you look on the surface like you are gliding and you're calm and you're strong, but underneath you've got those feet that are going... <laughs> underneath (laughs) actually no one knows because you've got this grace but underneath you are anxious as you know and that's what ends up so but you use the energy that propels you forward in some ways because you want to overachieve you overdo you over prepare you over plan you overthink like but a lot of these things are done in a way that you know, other people actually reward you for it. They don't go, mm. oh, hey, where's that coming from? But often it's coming from a place of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I don't want to make a mistake, I've got to be perfect. So mm. I really feel, I feel for, and I said, obviously I'm a big feeler anyway in terms of empathy, feel for everybody with anxiety. But I, you know, I do also feel for people with high function anxiety because it gives this idea that it's easier to deal with it and not necessarily, it just comes comes in differently. And actually people with, in, with high function anxiety, they're rewarded for having it as well. So it perpetuates, they don't always know that they've got an anxiety disorder, so they don't necessarily get support either. So it continues for years and this is when then we get burnout and health complications and I know you know a lot of you know things you you speak about Mm -hmm. and and it can come from that place okay yes I I recognize some people in my life where I can see that too I actually before I you know became more of aware of all these issues I remember looking around and seeing certain people in my life and thinking wow why can't I be more like them (laughs) they're, you know, they don't sleep. It seems like they don't need to sleep. They're working all the time. Plus they're getting this degree. Plus they have three children. Um, I wish I could be more like that uh, because I think we do value that in our society, this, this constant, um, production, you know, being, being able to constantly produce, produce, produce and, uh, lacking, you know, rest and downtime. And I've always been the type of person who needs a lot of rest and a lot of downtime. And I, um, have chastised myself for that over the years, feeling like I'm not good enough or I don't measure up to other people who seem to be able to have this endless supply of energy to keep doing, 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 where I'm like, I need to lay down. <laughs> I need to take a nap. I need to have a, a you know an afternoon where I don't do anything. 
Um, and I've, I've recovered from that now. Um, but that, you know, went into my adulthood, into my late thirties, early forties, where I just really felt less than for not being able to, um, be as productive as some other people around me, including my husband, who's an extremely productive person. Um, so I think we need to give ourselves some grace also that we're all built differently. And some people maybe can, can work at that pace and maybe it's not anxiety. Maybe they just are people who need less sleep or very goal oriented or whatever the case may be. But how would someone know or recognize if they are one of those people? Because you're saying it's, it is harder for them to identify that anxiety is actually driving this behavior. So how would someone recognize it? Yeah, it's a really good question because it is harder. What I would say is check in with your own energy. So when you are doing, so performing, working and doing all of those things, what energy is it coming from? Are you stressed? Do you feel like, what thoughts are you having as well? Connect with those thoughts. Is it coming from a lack place? Or are you whole? So actually what you just said, and people do have different energies and I help people understand that as well because some of us can just keep on going. Mm -hmm. I am a burst of energy and then I need to sleep. (laughs) I need to rest. And I have fell into that trap of going like I'm useless, worthless because, you know, I haven't done anything today. So Mm -hmm. and I'm not being productive but I give myself more grace now because I realize that I can get a lot done when I am in energy and in flow Mm -hmm. so thinking about where I check in with where it's coming from so how does your energy feel when you're when you're doing things so maybe staying late at work or doing all the things or taking on projects or um, you're saying yes to different things where's that coming from is it coming from a good energy are you happy about that or is it coming from, you know, you should, you have to, um, and there's a consequence if you didn't. So this relates, just made me think of when people struggle to say no, and they might really resent the fact that they're now doing this thing, but they've said yes for a reason. And usually it's because of that, you know, that lacking energy of some shape or form. So that's a good way of understanding um. The difference almost how it feels in your body how you feel in your body Definitely. yeah yeah um so and i i do want to just put a little you know caveat in here i my show focuses a lot on women i know that you primarily focus on women but anxiety is also a male issue so i just want to put that out there since we're talking so much about women that men can also experience anxiety and panic attacks and all that which you know, would be a great topic actually for another show, just because I think um, maybe we don't in our society pay as much attention to men and their struggles with mental health. But I know that you are, you know, your sole focus is women and mine is primarily as well, just because that's what I am. And <laughs> that's, uh, that's where I come from, you know, the experience that I have. Um, so, so for women who are, you know, in the thick of it, they're raising their kids, they're working, they may be helping to care for parents, whatever's going on, and they are feeling really anxious. What's, what, what are some things, what are some starters that they can add into their lives to see how they feel if they try these little techniques? 
So what I would say, and it's a really great question again, is there are so many techniques that are helpful, but what I'm actually going to say is zoom out, review your life and your experience because distraction techniques, grounding techniques, all of the techniques, and I do teach them, are amazing to help you to feel skilled and in control and safe, but anxiety to me is a message it's a message that something isn't quite right it's an invitation to look at what isn't going you know what what you might need to address or what's coming up for you it's your body's way of communicating distress to you anxiety you know fears as well so I'd invite people to zoom, you know, take a zoom out. And sometimes we can do this physically by, I invite people to take a step back, to literally move physically back, or to imagine that they are zoom, you know, on those Google maps where you can kind of zoom out and the world looks tiny. In mm -hmm. a way, just do that with your own body, you know, experience. So you're looking over on your life. And then I would invite people to, you know, see where they can simplify it see the areas the pain points the pressures the you know parts of their life that may be causing difficulties for them um and start there because when you address those things then anxiety is less likely to pop up anyway and you won't need the techniques in the moment because anxiety will settle. So I really help and I really, you know, I use hypnotherapy as a tool to do this. Mm. So I really help people get to the root cause of their anxiety so that actually when we do the work that comes up there, we no longer need to do the other work mm. about grounding or what to do in the very moment because they don't need it anymore. So... Wow. As much as I could go through lot, well, I, I will do a few tips as well in the moment, but generally that would be my invitation. Zoom out, have a look what's actually going on in your life and what changes might be helpful. You know, what expectate, you know, we've talked about this a bit already. What expectations are you putting on yourself that aren't actually that realistic for you right now? What is the bare minimum that you can do in a day? What are the actual non-negotiables? What can you seek support with? Can you ask somebody to help you with? You know, what are you doing for yourself? Because a lot of people, when they're really stressed and overwhelmed and really busy, they actually miss out the key fundamentals of self-care that mm. actually keeps your mental health, you know, tip-top condition, really. Yeah. And when we're okay, we're like, oh, we won't do the yoga now because we're okay. And then reaps back up because actually yoga practice or whatever it might be and you enjoy hiking I enjoy going out too with my dog mm -hmm. they're actually the things that keep as well yeah yeah it's so true it's so true and I find that so much and this is you know I, I have a lot of moms in my life because that's the stage of life I'm in and so many of them will constantly make excuses as to why they can't do the self-care things um, you know, like, oh, I can't because I have to be at, you know, this function for my child or I have to help out at the school or I have to uh, clean the house or I, I have loads of laundry I need to fold. I mean, there's a million excuses that that women can come up with. And and I, I don't actually maybe like the word excuses because these are things that you have to do slash want to do. Um, but it does interfere with their ability to do the self-care things. And 
Also, I think their ability to zoom out, like when you talk about zooming out and, and kind of evaluating what really needs to be done versus what you can let go of, or, or maybe you could, um, outsource to someone else. Um, I, it's a, it's kind of a mindset situation, right? Would you agree with that? That somehow that mindset needs to shift a little bit? Yeah. So when you were just talking there, and one thing that came to mind is, do they feel like they deserve the self-care? Because you talk about barriers and I know you, you said the word excuse, but not quite what you meant. Like right. they are things that people do, but actually what is preventing them? Because we do get a choice of prioritizing things in our lives. You know, we get to choose whether we prioritize the laundry compared to sitting and doing nothing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but we might not feel we've got that luxury. So sometimes it's, yeah, it mindset, like, what do we believe? Mm-hmm. And one of those beliefs, and something I've definitely come across myself with lots of clients, is they don't believe that they're worthy of having that time out and that they shouldn't need it and that it's selfish mm-hmm. and that but I do like to try and turn that around and equally I can hear that in your sentiment as well mm-hmm. because I see self-care like a battery you know charging station so we would never leave our devices to go uncharged you know because they wouldn't function and even when something gets like doing the battery starts getting a bit old that your computer gets a bit slower and it can't deal with all the different things if you think that's your cognition so that's your brain and actually it does need charging and everything in life when we are more charged everything in our life it goes better you know we are then more productive we are then more organized or you know our cognitions function better you know we have better relationships we deal with challenges dif- differently so I like to try and turn it around you know that self-care is our charge mm-hmm. and we need that charge even if it is seconds of just plugging in and doing nothing for a moment then they're coming back out or that five minutes because if we did that with our phone it does make a difference to increasing that charge and then we've got more energy to address all the other things so and then when I'm working with mums in particular I help them see that it isn't selfish at all because their children's lives benefit from the more that they look after themselves in so many ways yes, and they know I, that. <laughs> they know that is that what you said yeah they know yeah. like because when we try to evidence that they'll be like yes you are right because when I'm you know when I have a good night's sleep or when I'm this or that this is what I do with my kids and this is what we you know and how about then I also think well how about setting an example because you'd want your children too wouldn't you to look after their own well-being and sh- and know that they are worthy of looking after themselves and the way that they learn that is from you. Yeah. Yes, I firmly believe in all of that. All of that. And 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 not only believe it but have experienced it, you know? I mean, I think I think most people even if they don't make a regular habit of self-care 
will have some experience with this because maybe they got to go away for a night on a girl's trip or something, or they, or with their husband, or they just even go out for, you know, a date night or something and coming back feeling recharged exactly the way you, I love that analogy. That's so fantastic. It's so easy to relate to and for people to understand. Um, you just feel recharged. You feel happier. You feel like you have more to give. You feel more patient. You feel more kind. You feel more just light in your body and expansive. Um, and so if we can make a habit of doing that on a regular basis, how would that change our lives and our children's lives? And, and I also love that what you said about giving that example to our children and particularly our girls that you are worthy and you deserve this. And mommy does this. And that means when you grow up, you'll be like, Oh, well, if my mom did it, it's okay. So I can do it too. And, and we'll perpetuate this from generation to generation, which is amazing. Absolutely. And it's actually tips on to what I believe my purpose is in life and um, which, which is linked with anxiety, but the reality is I help people to understand themselves more so than they've ever done in their life because specifically as well actually men as well but we're talking more more about women you know we are we get disconnected from our body from our thoughts our own wants and it's no wonder then we don't know how to meet our own needs or like where to even start or we feel selfish in doing that because we are perpetually taught not to we are taught other people's needs in front of ours and feel a lot of shame and guilt so that's, you know, so when, you know, we've got those, you know, the laundry is more important or I've got to do that, that actually it's a shame. It's mm-hmm. the belief that I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not worthy to do this. I shouldn't have, you know, yeah. so it's not normal for us to do that, which is why we then avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that actually circles back to something that you mentioned earlier on, but I, I think it comes up here as well, is that feeling of numbness. And I think a lot of women can relate to that too, that after ignoring our needs for long enough, then maybe we just start feeling numb. Like we don't have any needs or wants or desires, or we just, we're just, uh, just there without really any feelings at all. Yeah. Just going through those motions and with anxiety, there can come panic, like the can come dissociation as well so that also creates distance and I've got to say it um it breaks my heart when I speak to parents that don't feel connected to their children because anxiety has got so bad that they don't feel or their body is numbing so that they can cope with their life um and, you know and that is also you know ultimately very sad because you know your relationship and your connection with your children is one of the most important things to to you so but yeah that numbing that's that's in that context but equally yes um you know you could ask somebody you know a question like what do you want for lunch even and you know when you're not just not connected to yourself like I don't don't even know or how do you how do you feel like oh um not really sure because we're not focused in that way and we're taught not to be focused in that way so then when we're getting panic and that actually loops around to one of the things I said earlier we experience panic we think it's come from absolutely nowhere but actually has it have there been a loads of different like feelings that we haven't noticed Mm -hmm. so it gets to a point where our body is screaming at us 
in the shape of severe anxiety and panic because it wants us to listen and we haven't necessarily been listening to it before and that's where I speak about anxiety being an invitation it's an invitation for you to maybe address something that that needs your attention that you perhaps haven't noticed before yeah which you know when you think about it that way I know anxiety is so painful for people who experience it. And I don't want to minimize the the pain of that experience. But when you think about it as an invitation to explore those emotions that you have not paid attention to, I call it shoving them down or stuffing them down. (laughs) Um, it really could open up your world in such a beautiful way. Um, and it's hard work and I've seen it firsthand. It's really hard work, but there's just tremendous rewards at the end of the work. So I I like that, um, the way that you use that term and invitation. I think that's beautiful. And you're absolutely right. Like when, and this is why I said like the situational anxiety versus, you know, different, you know, disordered anxiety, because it is painful. Um, And when people say, you know, it's not going to hurt you, it does hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) it's scary it's debilitating and that and it is all of those things but people experience anxiety on all very on all very different levels um and it is hard when it keeps on going and that it is debilitating and it's like every day and it has been for months and and you're doing the work and it's like what is you know but sometimes that's where my hypnotherapy comes into place as well because rather than other like talking therapists that can get to the subconscious where mm. and often your subconscious is blocking you moving forward like you want the goal you mm. want to not feel like this but something's kind of stuck and blocking you and the subconscious work can I kind of work with both I use the subconscious and the conscious to work together to get you over those hurdles really that's causing you anxiety um because we know logically that we aren't safe, that we are safe, mm-hmm. but something's stuck. And it can mm-hmm. be so random. Like, I am so fascinated with what comes from people's subconscious. Like, yeah. and then it blows their mind too, because they're like, what? That, <laughs> I remember that situation. It's like, it like insignificant. Uh, and then we realize it's really not significant. Yeah. Your body has learned from that situation and you know I said earlier like you could be walking down the street and you could um, experience panic well you could be walking down the street and then notice a color you might not consciously notice that color but it's the color that triggers you or the sight or the movement or the feeling in your body so it is random but it's not Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. That's so fascinating. I just interviewed someone um, last week uh, who is a somatic healer. And so she works with the body and, and using the, you know, the trauma and the way that it's stored in the body and using that to, you know, get it out and move the trauma out of the body, um, which is, you know, all these things are interconnected and work together and they're all fascinating. But what you're saying about the body holding on to it, even if your conscious mind isn't holding on to it, I that's so true. And until we can unearth what's there, I think it's really hard to get over that hump. Yeah, or invite your subconscious to find another solution. 
because with anxiety so of course I talk about how debilitating it is but it's also wanting the best for you mm-hmm. it's I know we talk about it and when people experience it it is like the enemy like it's the thing we want to get rid of but it's absolute intention is not that at all it's absolute intention is to keep you safe mm-hmm. absolute intention is um to you know to support your safety yeah but it's I see it as like a very overprotective like big sister or (laughs) helicopter parent (laughs) (laughs) so realize that those things aren't really not the you know they are safe Uh, so it's very overprotective and that's how you know I support people to um to you know reduce its alarm system should we say right Right. That's so great. That's so great. The hypnotherapy is fascinating. I've never experienced anything like that, but I would love to do it. I think that is just so cool. Do you, do you know much about it? I don't know. Actually, why don't you speak on that a little bit? Because I don't know much about it and I don't know that my listeners will know much about it. (laughs) And I find it fascinating too. So hypnotherapy is, you know, it's been used in comedy as well, to be fair. And in the entertainment industry so it looks a certain way but absolutely when you use it for therapeutic purposes you know you're not you know I don't hold a pendulum that's not my particular (laughs) style um I don't even you know we don't do look into my eyes or I don't make people look like a chicken which you you know (laughs) on yes programs is not like that therapeutically (laughs) So what it does is, so we have our prefrontal cortex, which is a thinking part of our brain. I'm sim- this is the simplest <laughs> st- like way of explaining it, but simply put, it's your thinking part of your brain. And actually with anxiety, this is the part that goes on absolute overdrive because we have lots of worries and anxious thoughts that drive then the thoughts, you know, the feelings in our body and then the anxiety sensations and the cycle goes on. So what hypnotherapy does, it actually settles down that part of your brain so that you haven't got that thinking part of your brain kind of interfering, should we say, and you actually open up to your subconscious. Now, your subconscious is really, really creative and it thinks in like um, like patterns and um I was going to say numbers, but I don't mean that. I mean the opposite. So patterns and colors and things like that. It's very expansive. So, and it's stored and it remembers everything. Like it has everything stored in there that you are not consciously aware of. So you imagine that you are able to do down that kind of um, critical thinking, you know, the overanalyzing part of your brain, and you then get to access this incredible part of your brain that knows all of the answers to your problems. It knows where your problems have come from, um, what experiences you've had in your life. And it can re, so we have what we call neuroplasticity. So we can actually change connections in our brain and we can use the subconscious to superpower that, the, the rewiring of, mm-hmm. uh, of the thought patterns. So when I use hypnotherapy, I use it in a few different ways. So I help people to get to the root cause of their difficulties to see, you know, what situation, you know, so they kind of, you know, their subconscious comes with a manifestation of that, of what might have caused this particular problem. 
and therefore we get to use the subconscious to really reframe it rewire it we change it so the experience you'll still remember the memory but the memory feels quite different and there's lots of other techniques I use within the subconscious mind as well so that again the memory has a very different experience and we can use it to um, embed like more desired resourceful things as well so with anxiety we can actually embed like more resourceful states like more feeling in control and calm and and those types of things and we can use that in our conscious and subconscious mind and then I also provide recordings as well for some of my clients so that they can listen to what they need to hear over and over again which actually rewires their brain so they, they think differently and when they think differently they feel differently or helps them feel differently so they think differently right so. that is all so fascinating I have so many questions so <laughs> what you described in a way sounds a parts of it, I guess, sound very similar to meditation. So is, is it like a directed meditation in a way? So great question. And actually when you do experience it, it does, um, some of it can sound like you're being guided into meditation. It goes deeper. So there's different levels of a hypnotic state. So that, yeah, so you reach like deeper levels and what it feels like it feels differently for different people but what it feels like for me is feeling very relaxed some people feel like it's a little bit like you're aware but you're not aware um so like that semi kind of lucid state some people go absolutely like so like almost like they are asleep um they go that deep into that state so some people will experience like they're floating or they like tingle in, but in a nice sensation. Some of my clients have said like it's the most relaxed they've ever felt in their life. Um, so that's when we start to, yeah, we use the, we use, so I use different states of like how deep you go. Okay. Depending on but um, it is definitely deeper than what people usually access in a meditative state but people that have experienced meditation it may feel like there's some similarities so it isn't scary and you're not like some of the misconceptions are that you're you're not in control like I'm doing things to you Um, but really that's not the case you're in control and you allow hypnosis to come over you and you can't do anything that doesn't align with your own values like you just won't accept it and what will happen is you'll just come out of that state of like relaxation so so yeah so you are still in control if you wanted to stand up for example or you know do anything you could do um so yeah are different people more or less susceptible to because you have to shut down that prefrontal cortex which I would imagine in people with anxiety it's pretty active that prefrontal cortex so is are different people more or less susceptible to being able to get into a hypnotic state so everybody can be hypnotized, um, but some people can go deeper than others. Okay. So imagine this. So have you ever gone to the movies, the cinemas, and you've gone in in daylight, you've gone to watch the movie, and then you've come out and gone, oh my gosh, it's dark. Like, when did mm-hmm. this happen? Okay, that is technically a hypnotic 
state because you lose sense you know you've got a loss of senses the same if you drove somewhere and you get to your destination you think oh my gosh how did I even get here yeah yeah. Um, yeah and you've lost you know some of your senses so that is actually classed as a hypnotic state I did it earlier I was on autopilot um and I ended up I was going to my beauticians and I ended up at the the local shops because (laughs) (laughs) so I didn't pay the tax enough but technically that is like a hypnotic state because you've yeah your conscious awareness has just changed really okay so we all experience it and we all have already experienced it um but I just harness that state therapeutically to get people closer to what they want so reducing those the anxiety the panic feeling more confident calmer yeah okay. all of things. this is very cool and I think I need to try it um, <laughs> another question is so I've always been, so I also um, have had chronic migraines for about 10 years and it's been very resistant to uh, traditional treatments and actually alternative treatments. Um, and there is definitely a part of me that's like, is there something in my subconscious that is contributing to this? So have you ever, have you ever had a client who had some sort of chronic medical condition that it was helped by hypnosis, by uncovering something that was in the subconscious. Yeah, and actually I feel for you because I've had my own experiences of chronic migraine. And when people are like, oh, you have a headache. Oh, I have those too. I'm like, no. (laughs) So anybody, I really relate, they are horrendous. So my experience so this is just coming from my experience so I had um, migraines far longer than kind of the reason that I so I was in a car accident supposedly my symptoms should have reduced by a certain time frame and mine didn't so I was a bit of an anomaly which in a way is what you're saying for you too that it doesn't make medical sense so that's you know they didn't say that to me but that was the gist of it and also those what they could offer me was quite limited Mm -hmm. so my point being for me I do wonder and I don't know I'm not medically trained and I don't know factually but I wonder whether my body got stuck in pain so my body was so used to sending pain signals out that actually my body got stuck. So when there wasn't the physical cause to co- like you know cause that pain anymore, it actually got stuck in sending pain signals out anyway. So I experienced it for a long time and actually all of the time. So I didn't, there was a long time I didn't not have a migraine. I had a migraine consistently. Mm-hmm. They didn't go. It wasn't like how many times did you have them a week? It was like, I've not not had one yes, forever. Yes, <laughs> not yes. forever. Yes. I'm uh, I've been there. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I do think so. I do believe that there there are ways, and I've not specifically worked with migraine, but I do know other hypnotherapists that have that absolutely can unlock symptoms. And there's a lot of use of hypnotherapy for chronic conditions mm. to a change and it comes back to the idea and I use this with anxiety is you know 
inviting that subconscious to find another solution for the problem. Right. And inviting it to use that pathway instead. And when it's got that new pathway, it will go like the path of least resistance, because I believe and I truly believe in in recovery of my health conditions and mental health conditions is I've always truly wholeheartedly believed that I will fully recover. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in the right circumstances and when we support our bodies and our minds in the in these ways, that our body does want to recover you know from things that it is possible to mm-hmm. it of course wants that too and it will you know if we try and guide it in the right way yeah. I do believe that and I have felt this for myself once I've guided my own health in that way it's then like a, a, a really good like effect of it building upon each other because then your body is getting into a better state and it's and it's taking that to heal itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do too. And I, I believe so strongly in that mind body connection and how our mind influences our body and our body influences our mind. And we really can't separate them. Um, but sometimes what's going on in the mind is under the, under the surface. So if we're not accessing what's there, we can't really understand how it's impacting our body. So, um, that is, that is something I've always just wondered about. And uh, now you've got, you've given me some, some things to think about. So thank you. Yeah. And I hope that you can find your own way of getting that relief from, from migraine because yeah, it is so horrible. It's, it's a really, it's a really challenging condition and my daughter has it as well, actually. So, um, you know, it's really hard to decipher, you know, what is something that is just biological versus what is something that is, being impacted by something other than just but your biology. Um, so, and I know there are a lot of people out there with autoimmune conditions and things that are just conditions that, uh, are hard to understand where they came from or why someone's suffering from them. So it's, it's just another option for healing. I'd like to, you know, put out there so that people are aware that they can try these things. And I do, like you said, believing wholeheartedly that you will heal, I do think is also a very big component of healing is to continue to believe that healing is possible for you, that your body is able to heal. And that is really powerful. Yeah. And the reality of using something like hypnotherapy, if you believe that, or and if there is a stress component, you know, and stress and inflammation has an impact mm-hmm. on your condition, then absolutely therapy, hypnotherapy will have its benefits because that of course deals with, you know, the stresses. But um, you know, I, I try and look at again this again, that's where you look at the whole person, look at the interacting factors. I definitely when I didn't get um through the medical professions that there was a bit of a dead end there wasn't really much else that they could do for me that's when I explored what else would be helpful and in supporting my own um, migraines and post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that what I did is I realized that our health service wasn't offering anything else Mm -hmm. in terms of more than what they did offer Um, and then I was like right well I'm a therapist I'm a social worker I know that my mind can, you know, is one of my greatest assets and I know that I can use it to support me. So that's what I did. And when I actually started 
to to do that for myself so I was like right I had to take control actually one of the first things I went to was hypnotherapy Mm. but it wasn't in relation I think this will be quite surprising it wasn't in relation to migraine and it wasn't relation to other health things I actually went to and worked on my own self so how I like my own self-worth I actually started there which I think would be surprising um but actually that was the start of me healing my physical elements is me actually looking inward and doing kind of what people call inner work and I know that means different things for everybody else but I actually started with you know resolving maybe some you know past traumas letting go of things working on my own self-belief my own worth and then and then building from that so hypnotherapy wasn't about migraine at all it was about me right which that makes sense I mean it it when you say it like that it makes sense it's kind of like what we were talking about before when someone says you know they're they can't drive, but really it's about grief. Like it's, you know, you can track it back somehow, but the path is, is not always a straight line. So, you know, hypnotherapy can, can help you find the, the way, the way to get there. So that's very cool. Very cool. Everything that we experience in life comes back to us because we're the one experiencing it. Yeah. How we think, feel about it and experiencing it is our outer experience isn't it but we have an inner experience of it too so yeah it's definitely a therapy that you know it's not the exclusive therapy I use but it is phenomenal using the subconscious with the conscious and often when people have already often my clients come to me actually when they've already had other therapy so maybe they've already had CBT for example and often like going back and looking at subconscious is actually a bit of the missing piece. It was a bit of a, so it was maybe a blocker helping, like stopping them moving forward. So, yeah. Yeah. So cool. incredible questions. I'm so privileged to have had this come such an insightful conversation. Well, you have been an amazing guest. Honestly, you've like really, I like you maybe well up a few times with tears. So like you're, you're, you're fantastic. I'm not even a crier. So, um, your energy is fantastic. I, um, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and, um, have this conversation and I hope it helps somebody out there. Um, I will put all your information in the show notes, just so everybody knows who's listening. If um, anyone wants to get in contact with you, um, and if there's anything, I mean, if there's anything else you want to share um, before we before we get off? No, other than if anybody did want to talk about anxiety, panic, then absolutely I'd invite them to have a conversation with me. Um, I've got a wealth of knowledge about mental health, having worked in mental health. And what I specialize in is one-to-one work. So I work with my clients one-to-one. And I also run a group, which is really special to me as well, because I get to um, invite women that have similar experiences so that they feel less alone. They feel validated, heard, and they can say like, oh, I've been worrying about this. And they're like, oh, yes, I've had that experience. And they actually help each other as much as I, you know, I'll facilitate it and support that. Um, But it is, it's such a special place and there's not 
lots of that that exists so yeah I would invite people you know if this has resonated with anybody listening and they feel like that space would be nurturing for them to you know get in contact with me and that's how they would do it they would first contact you first if they wanted to be included in that space yeah let's connect let's have a conversation like okay no pressure but like it just build up that connection because that's what it's about and you know that relationship with a therapist or person is really one of the things that that is one of the biggest things in helping you recover and you know that relationship is key so yeah informal conversation let's have a chat and then let's see you know see if we can work together or if I can share my wisdom and signpost (laughs) (laughs) that's great and I love what you say about you know community and and you know being able to be in a space with other people who have similar struggles it's again another one of the reasons I started this podcast is just help people to know that they're not alone that they're whatever they're experiencing there are so many others out there who are experiencing the same thing and we can be there for each other. We can be a light for each other. We can hold each other. We can, you know, support each other. And just because you're struggling with something like anxiety, it doesn't, it doesn't say anything about who you are as a person, a woman, a mom, a spouse, you know, it, it says nothing about who you are as a person. Um, so I hope people got that from today's conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that it means that you are normal and human. Yes. Yes, I know. And in my house, I I always say, I don't like the word normal. My kids say, well, this or that is normal. I'm like, oh, I hate that word. What is normal? Like, (laughs) we're all our unique individuals. And, um, you know, we all experience these things that are considered to be not normal, right? Anxiety, I guess, you know, the culture would say is not normal, but actually it's so common. Yeah. So... (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Emma. And like I said, I'll put everything um, always of getting in contact with you in the show notes um, for everyone to be able to see. And um, I'll also put them in my newsletter. I do a weekly newsletter after I release each um, episode of the podcast. So um, it'll be in both of those locations. Oh, that's absolutely awesome. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on and enjoy the rest of your beautiful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Emma and I talked about so many different things that I could use as a mindfulness exercise this week that it's been really hard for me to choose what I would like to offer for the week. So I invite you to check out my newsletter because I will definitely be going into more detail in my newsletter. But for the sake of time this week um, on the mindfulness exercise just for the podcast, I would invite you to look at your life and see all the areas where you are saying yes to things that maybe aren't serving you. So maybe you say yes because you are afraid of being judged, or maybe you say yes because you think you're going to let somebody down, or maybe you say yes because you think it's what you should do as a good wife, mom, friend. But how does it make you feel in your body? Does it make you feel alive, excited, light, passionate? Or does it make you feel weighed down and heavy and anxious? 
if you listen to my episode on expansion versus contraction, this is the exact same thing. So let's see if you can identify some things in your life that you're saying yes to, that you really could say no to, that would free up some space for self-care. As always, I'd love to hear what you think. Contact me through Instagram, Facebook, or email. Love everyone. Bye. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, I ask that you please like the show, follow, subscribe, or share. The way that podcasts work is the more people that do one of those things, the more likely it is that when someone's looking for a podcast to listen to, our show will pop up for them. I started this podcast because I really see there's a great need in our world for people to feel more peace, joy, love, and acceptance in their lives. And I think we can do that when we have a greater sense of self-awareness. We could become conscious creators of our own lives. And I'm seeking to do that for as many people as possible. So if you could help me by liking, sharing, or subscribing to the show, I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully someone hears a conversation that changes their life. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Much love.